Hey everybody, welcome to Rock and Roll Shinsu Chu, episode number 49. My name is Gabe Estel and I'm here with my co-hosts, Dennis Levi Leach and Jonathan Getz. How's it going, guys? Amazing. Rock and or roll. Excellent, excellent. Well, happy mid-spring training. Um, So let's go ahead and kick it right off here. Uh, Unfortunately, I have to share some sad news first. Um, my, my kick it right off was probably a little too enthusiastic to go right into some, some more somber news, but, uh, on a serious note, um, a couple weeks ago, a little less than two weeks ago, uh, you know, the rock world lost a really great musician, uh, probably one of its most technical musicians ever in Keith Emerson from Emerson Lake and Palmer. Um, and, uh, obviously it was later deemed that, uh, Keith committed suicide, So, um, you know, the rock world's been remembering him over the last couple weeks. And one thing, guys, that stood out to me, um, the the his death, you know, received a lot of coverage. Um, You know, you've had a lot of classic rock kind of icons pass away, unfortunately, over the last few months. Um, But I think to a lot of people that either weren't around in the 70s like us um even though i'm i consider myself a fan of emerson lake and palmer um or to people that didn't like them and they were never popular with critics um a lot of people just don't realize how freaking huge this band was like popular how popular yeah 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 Yeah, worldwide for sure yeah i mean they were like right up there with like i'm not kidding like the pop like led zeppelin like oh, yeah. it, like when it was going down in the in the mid seventies. Oh yeah, they were huge. Yeah, I mean Zeppelin's stature has grown since then, and I'll, even though I like ELP a lot, I'll be the first to admit Zeppelin's catalog, you know, holds up better. Yeah. Um, and they're better songs per se, but <clears throat> you know they were they were a huge band, and I think a lot of people our age and a lot of people that maybe just dismiss their music don't know that or they or oh, they refuse absolutely. to absolutely i i would even go a step further to where it's not just elp that suffers it's almost all prong bands yeah the, yeah people you know there's a there's a definite age cutoff where it's like yes. people under this age have no idea what prog rock was even or, though some of the music that they're listening to now could have been influenced by it yeah, a little absolutely bit. yeah, yeah. Yes. i and i the December is yeah. I would say that's going example. on a lot. I yeah. would say there's a lot of of younger listeners that don't know the origins of their their music. Oh, I would say Jonathan mentioned the Decemberists. I'd even go the other end of the spectrum. I'd say System of a Down. Yeah. You know, yeah. even yeah. Yeah. I mean, if you want to take the go the heavier route, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. I don't think that the Decemberists make the Crane Wife album without you know hearing Keith Emerson's work. Uh, and in what he was able to do with with the keys. Oh yeah. Well, and one of the things I always liked about Keith Emerson and Herbie Hancock was also this way as well was they didn't know just how to play the keyboards. If the keyboard broke down, they could take it apart and fix it. Yeah. And, and I think that was like vital. Mm-hmm. Obviously, to he was using so much gear from Moog that was literally being made almost just for him. Yeah, and, and so it was like 
if you want to learn it and tour with it and take it all over the world, somebody's going to have to figure out how to work on it because it's not going to last always. Yeah. And I, I thought that was cool. He didn't just know how to play it. He could work on it and fix it and take it apart. He was and, a technician, you know, yeah. as well. Um, God, his rigs were insane. I mean, just like the dude had like the Starship Enterprise like surrounding him. <laughs> oh, yeah. oh, yeah. It's amazing. Yeah, and all those wires and stuff as well. Like, just oh, yeah. like doing all this on stage. And not to mention, you know, his performances, live performances were very intense. I mean, he would beat the shit out of that thing. You know, I mean, yeah. he would literally beat the keyboard oh, yeah. um, to get whatever he needed to get, to get where he needed to be with that keyboard. <laughs> um, yeah, he really he defined a sound of an era. Granted, it wasn't that long of an era. And, you know, it's longevity is probably in question, even though we just talked about some of the some of the uh, how its influence is stretched a little bit. Its popularity didn't have a lot of longevity, no uh, commercial popularity. But uh, from like that whole like, you know, like 72, 73 to like 75, 76, you know, Prague was it, man. You know, I mean, it, commercially. Oh yeah. Had, oh yeah, filling stadiums. I mean, you had yes, yeah, like playing veteran stadium in Philadelphia <laughs> and selling the place out, like playing to like seventy five thousand people. Oh yeah. yeah, that's insane, surreal. There, you know, I don't even know if there are seventy five thousand people in the United States that like prog rock anymore. <laughs> yeah, I mean, you know, figuratively, yeah. I'm sure, but like, it's amazing that music can fall out of out of favor so quickly, like it did for for bands of that genre. Yeah, you're you're right. I mean, I think that when the era's popularity declined, which would probably be like in the late seventies, you yep. know, yeah, um, you know, when kind of punk came in and and disco uh, as well, um, Rush and Floyd carried on. You know, like their popularity remained, and yeah. in some degrees, they evolved their sound. Uh, whereas, like, kind of like ELP. You know, despite a resurgence in the 80s, yes, Jethro Tull, King Crimson, all of them were a little bit left behind as far as – and that's not saying one of those bands is better than the other. It's just – you know what I mean? The Oh, yeah. The, the commercial – popu- the yeah. money left and, yeah. and it, it, what little money people were going to pay for that genre went to bands like you said, like Rush or yeah. even, even Yes – you know, or, or Genesis reinventing themselves. Yeah, absolutely. You know? Yeah, no longer a prog band at all. Right. Right. Yeah. Is it safe to say that maybe uh, my perception is that that prog bands were kind of the sabermetricians of rock music in the seventies? <laughs> like they were frowned upon all, by critics. Yeah, like they're you. thinking too hard about all of this. You know, <laughs> just go out there and play the game. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. That's a good analogy, man. Yeah, oh, no, and that and that it speaks to. It's like the rise and fall of disco, and it's the rise and fall of Prague. It starts out as something really organic and like jamming, and then by the end of the late seventies, people are analyzing all the songs so much, and the 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 bands keep having to do crazier and crazier things, or incorporating all these weird time signatures, or mm-hmm. it, it Prague outgrew itself. It, it got hmm. too big for itself, almost. Yeah. Hmm. You, you also had a strand, to, to piggyback on what Levi said, without growing itself, you had, a, you, <clears throat> you had sort of a strand of pop prog, too. Like, bands that weren't totally prog, 
but incorporated some of it into their sound. And I'm thinking yeah. of bands like Styx, Kansas, yeah. Journey. Oh yeah. Um, you know, I think those, those bands Dan. had yeah. The, yeah those bands had elements of prog mm-hmm. definitely. Oh, yeah. mm-hmm. Um, I like it all. You know, that's just me. Um, but yeah, I just I just think it's even if you don't like it, um, even if a musician or if a critic or someone doesn't like it. You know, I just I think it's too easily dismissed. Yeah. Yeah. You have to appreciate what they were going for and 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 their achievement of what of what they were trying to accomplish. Mm -hmm. And you can't you can't deny that they were you know, they excelled at achieving what they were trying to accomplish. And I think there's a lot to be said for that. And yeah, you can't easily dismiss that. Yeah. I mean, they blended classical music with rock and roll. Yeah. Oh, I mean, they were a lot, a lot of, I mean, that was their background in, in, in classical music and they infused that into, into rock and roll, you know, yeah. it was, um, it was a formula that certainly wasn't for everyone and still isn't, I guess. Um, but, uh, well, yeah, it and, was, and it was we, some challenging shit, you know, it oh, really yeah. it challenged the audience. In retrospect, it's hard to imagine that it was popular. You know what I yeah, mean? It, it is, is surprising. It's, yeah. it's yeah. like, wow. Like the mainstream, mainstream liked this at one time. Yeah, yeah. I mean, you know? yeah, and I mean, at the height of their popularity, nineteen seventy four, Yes put out an album with three songs on it. You know? <laughs> I mean, Relayer has three songs. I, but I think uh, part of it was maybe just the way it filled these arenas. Like it was music that was not meant to be played, but it it, it was very much accommodated by these arenas that were, um, uh, you know, that were filled by twenty thousand people. Yeah. And and so, you know, people were people were anxious to to maybe hear and see the sort of show that yeah. could be put on in such a venue. Yeah, yeah, that might not go over as well like the Fillmore or the whiskey, you know what I mean? Or, yeah. Um, yeah. you know, or or whatever, a, a small club down the street. Yeah. Um, yeah. yeah you don't want to go see the wall at the corner bar. No, no. <laughs> <laughs> they were, exactly. They were productions, you know, these. Yeah. these yeah these affairs they were definitely productions as well um so yeah we will miss keith certainly and uh all underrated certainly thank him for all of his contributions and uh um yeah he'll uh he's remembered fondly by me that's for sure absolutely so um and and also if anybody's looking for some good reads um before we close this out um in 1977 emerson lake and palmer after having a cup taking a couple years off kind of really at the height of their popularity, which usually for most bands ends up being a mistake. Um, even though, you know, everybody needs a break from the road. Their 1977 tour, if you if you ever find any literature on it, is a pretty fun read. It's just they they tried to pull off this gigantic tour, I mean, with a full orchestra every night. Ugh. So you can imagine what the production costs were like for this oh, tour. Yeah. And in the middle of it, they had to they had to let the orchestra go just because they were just the tour was just bleeding money. Jeez. And and, you know, their popularity was starting to wane a little bit. This is in like 77, 78. So, you know, they were f- still filling some arenas, but, you know, the not as much as they were, you know, three years prior, three, four years uh, prior. Yeah, that's tough. So. Uh, so, yeah, but uh, the shows from what I from what I read and a couple bootlegs that I've heard are are awesome from mm-hmm. those. uh from those those uh that tour 77 78 and then they they called it quits by the end of the decade so anyway well rest in peace keith yeah um now uh moving on to 
baseball. Um, one of us has attended spring training 2016. <laughs> Levi went and got his feet wet uh, out in Arizona. So Lisa, oh, yeah. why, Levi, why don't you tell us about your uh, your trip to Mesa? Yeah, I had a little I had a little cup of coffee, as they say. <laughs> I got I got called up for one game. Um, it was it was a blast. I would do it again in a heartbeat. Uh, Sloan Field in in Mesa, Sloan Park, I should say, uh, is is amazing. It, it's really well done. Uh, this is what the second year it's been open. Yeah, I, I believe it's the second year it was open. And whoever laid it out, there's just there's not a bad view from wherever you walk around the stadium. And, Making um, up for Wrigley. Oh yeah, absolutely. <laughs> and. <laughs> The, the food was excellent. They had really n- nice food options everywhere. Um, one of the neat things that happened was I uh, was walking around the park taking photos. And at the back of the park under the outfield, there was these like Budweiser bleachers. And under that was this room that said the Ferguson Jenkins Foundation. And so I opened the door and went in there. And at the table was Gaylord Perry. um Raleigh Fingers, uh, Mudcat Grant, <laughs> Lee Smith, and Bill Buckner. Damn. And wow. so that's a lot of wins and saves. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, right. Huh? Right. right? Yeah, those, are, those are some good lines across yeah, the table. Oh, yeah. And I, I was just, for some reason, immediately drawn to Bill Buckner. And I have no idea why. I mean, he was a cub, and I had had some cards of his. Do you still have a mustache? Oh, yeah, absolutely. All right. And, uh, for some reason, I just was drawn to him, and I part of me thinks it was maybe the the the, the empathy or sympathy I had for him still because I think what happened to him was like awful in yeah. Boston, oh, yeah. and um because if you look at his numbers, the guy was a great baseball player, oh, yeah. like he was he was well above average, mm-hmm. and um you know he's defined by that one play, and so. For a donation of $20, you could talk to him. And he had some pictures there, and he signed a picture for me. And uh, it was it was amazing. And then the next thing I knew, the game was over. And I, <laughs> I was like, ah, oh, it was like the fastest three hours ever. <laughs> so what would you talk about? Uh, with Bill Buckner? Nothing really. I, I just asked him how it was going, and he's like, oh, good. You know, he's like, you enjoying the game? And at the time, the Cubs were losing. So I was like, oh, God, yeah, I wish they weren't losing, but... And, uh, you know, we just kind of shot the shit for a second. Nothing, right nothing exciting. Yeah. And so I, I would recommend to anyone, if you go to spring training, go to more than one game because it wasn't enough. Like it no, was no. just like a little taste. And I was like, ah, I want more. Right. And, I, and I could so, see how you could easily spend just a, a week or two out there, you know, maybe going oh, a few yeah. games a week and yeah, well, that and would be a blast. Is, yeah, and in Arizona, all the parks are pretty close, too. Within, like, yeah. an hour, an hour yeah. and a half of each other. Basically. Yeah, Florida, they're a little further apart. Right. Yeah, yeah. It, it was it was a really, really good time, and I, I would do it again in a heartbeat. So Were there I, a lot of people there? Packed. Almost yeah. sold out for a Monday game. A Monday uh, day game. I think I saw and, where they, they averaged, like, 15,000, while spring training, on average, is about 8,000 per game, and the Cubs doubled that this year. Yeah. Oh, yeah. That's still eight thousand is still quite a few people to to watch a, a just an exhibition game. Yeah, that's yeah. just in one designated yeah. area of the country. Well, two, yeah. you know, Florida. Yeah, yeah. it was it was Arizona. pretty amazing. 
and there was one point like right when we got there and got to our seats and we could you know we sat down and we could see the view of the whole field and everybody and it was like does nobody work around here <laughs> because it was just like full of old young little yeah. kids it yeah. was just like wow this... i assume it's got to be a lot of vacationers though oh yeah i, absolutely. I think so i would yeah. assume yeah yeah, there yeah. were there were a lot of locals though there at the game, and yeah. they Part said, of the culture, you know? yeah, they said that even though that mainly you know what I forget how many teams play out there. It's fifteen in each state, so they, they've yeah, evened it up now. Yeah. Fifteen yeah. teams play in Arizona, and the locals in Mesa were like, most of the people that live out here are Cubs fans. Yeah. <laughs> sure, like like the retirees yeah. and all that. Mm-hmm. So. Yeah, Diamondbacks haven't been around that long, you know, as well. I did see some Diamondback stickers yeah. on a couple cars. I saw, like, one guy wearing a Diamondbacks hat. They all just, they're all like the 2001 <laughs> champion bumper stickers. Right? <laughs> they're kind of faded. <laughs> Lots bit. of, Levi, Levi, Levi was getting bootleg Travis Lee jerseys, all right? <laughs> <laughs> Remember, like, he was, like, their best player for a few he years. Was. Yeah. Yeah. Jo- yeah. Randy Johnson was their best player for a while. Yeah. Travis Lee, their offensive player. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 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 Um, uh, so, did, did you get up close and personal with any uh, ball players out there on the field? No, there wasn't an opportunity before the game because I think they, you know, they cognitively do this. They all gathered like right in between like center and second, yeah. so they're like away, from, like perfectly away from all the surrounding fans. Yeah. But I, I mean. I, I used my camera because it has a 50 times zoom. And so I was like watching them work out and stuff, which is kind of creepy now that I say it out loud. (laughs) (laughs) It's for the sport. It's for the love of the sport. (laughs) But yeah, like I I got a couple photos of like Addison Russell stretching while he's talking to like Chris Bryant. (laughs) And then after the game, it was so crazy. Everybody, it was like a mass exodus of 15,000 plus people. And there was only really, I I want to say there were like two ways in and out of the stadium. So it kind of made for a little bit of a traffic jam. Yeah. So after the game, I didn't see anybody. It was like, boom, the players were gone. And the players actually, as they leave the game, they actually leave the game. So like if yeah, you play right. the first couple of innings, you could see them like walk down this one tunnel and then out and then get into a car and like leave. So yeah. yeah, yeah. I'd heard that. I've never Weird. seen it, but I'd heard that as well. Like once you get your at bats in or whatever you're supposed to do for that day, like they'll, yeah, they'll, guys, they'll take guys off. Were, like going down to the clubhouse, they were literally like going to a, a car waiting, and they would Weird. leave. Right. Yeah, which I I hadn't expected that either. Yeah. Huh. Huh. And even though you you posted some photos uh, of some of the graphic design around there, is really cool. Oh uh, yeah, and, around and see, the park. That was, yeah, that was struck me the most. Like right away, as you walked in, there was one on the outside, and so right, I saw that and was like, "Wow!" And then it just carried out through the whole park. I would say, like, kind of like a 1950s Art Deco-y yeah, totally. type thing. Yeah, yeah, like travel up. posters. Yeah, it, yeah, whoever did that did a really good job on it. Yeah, yeah, it's good stuff. They, yeah, it sounds like they did a pretty good job with that whole facility. Yeah, we need to. I can share some of those photos onto the Chew site. So yeah, yeah, please do. Everybody yeah. can see them at home. Yeah, Levi, I wanted to ask you: Did you see this kid John Andrioli play for the Cubs? No, I did not. But he's I've... been like the star of spring training. So yeah, far. yeah. I've, I've I don't know of... if I don't know what he's what what will become of him. But yeah, um, 
I've heard his name, but I, do, I honestly don't know hardly anything about the guy. Um, who I was excited to see was after Jake Arietta pitched, a guy named Pierce Johnson pitched for mm-hmm. us. And he ended up getting lit. So I was like, ah. He's working on his slider or something. Well, and that's what they say. Yeah. Arietta, though, Arietta pitched like mid-season form. Yeah. He was ready. I you look could... at the lineup card for that game, and you, you saw, I mean, like what, like probably about seven of the nine yeah, or, I'm sorry, the, seven or, yeah, yeah. yeah it was basically uh, the easiest way, like, out of the starters, there were n- no Rizzo, no Schwarber. Okay. But then other than that, it was basically everybody else. Fowler, Hayward, um, Montero, Bryant, Russell, yeah. um, Soler, which I don't, you know, I don't know if Soler's going to end up making a lot of time out in the outfield, but we'll see. Hopefully he does. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, you know, uh, I was looking at some spring training because I, I have to admit, like I, the first when the games first started, you know, that first week, yeah. uh, we're in, we're into about what about our third week of games mm-hmm. now, probably. With still like God, still like still there's still like 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 fifteen games left to play or something. Oh yeah. Um. There's, anyway, there's still yeah. a lot of games. The Cubs are not. I mean, if you want to just look at the 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 lines, the Cubs are doing awful. Yeah. I think they've only won like four or five games. Yeah, sure it's all over. Right. Um, oh yeah, I'm cashing it in. Right. Um but you know, and that's a good segue because you know, how much do spring training stats matter? Probably not that much. But <clears throat> today I looked at you know, because I've I've kind of only looked at my team, you know, the White Sox a little bit, um here and there, but you know, a lot of days pass where I don't I don't see the score you know what i mean i don't oh, check yeah. it until a couple days okay. later you just hope um, nobody gets hurt yeah exactly um but you know a couple things i did notice just kind of looking around the leaders um we've talked about him before but dude nolan arenado who was awesome last year dude is tearing it up is he? Spring. Yeah. dude he's hitting 629 oh that's, that's high school numbers listen there. to this dude he's 22 for 35 holy cow yeah i mean the guy was good last year, but I mean, in my opinion, like he's a future MVP, man. I mean, he's, I wonder if people last year and he's, he's the real deal. I wonder if he's more likely to go in the first round of, of fantasy drafts this year. I mean, he's all obviously already good, but because of that spring training, if he's more likely to go in the first round now, like if people, it could boost his cause more. I don't, I don't know. Um, but yeah, out there in Colorado, Levi, yeah, I mean, obviously yeah. the guy's already kind of a star, you know, because he played so well last year. But he's he's like, he I think I'm going go to really, gonna go to really a game good. in August, I believe. Yeah, um, when nice. the Cubs come to town, so I'll definitely keep an eye out for him. Yeah, he's that's crazy that he's hitting that well. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I mean, I mean, he tore it up last year. It just he didn't get as much attention because he played for you know he plays the for the Rockies. Rockies. Yeah, yeah. Um, but yeah, he's he's good and. Um, <clears throat> this other guy, he's leading the league in runs. Um, he's kind of a late bloomer. He plays for Seattle named Sean O'Malley. He's already 28, and he's been playing in the minors since he was 18. But it kind of could be a good story. Like, his his OBP is like 5.538. He's 15 for 30. You know, leading the league in runs by a few runs. So, you know, that's another one maybe to remember. Uh, obviously, Arenado's already established, but Sean O'Malley. And then... I mean, record-wise, 
I know it's only a 20 game sample of spring training. Um, and I've dismissed them during previous podcasts, but the Diamondbacks have only lost four games. They're yeah. six. They're sixteen and four, which hey, they're all home games. Yeah, right. <laughs> sorry, <laughs> sorry. Okay, good, 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 good take. Um, but you know, I don't know. The revamp could pay off sooner rather than later. I, th- I, I, th- I think they will be better. Yeah. yeah. I want to say when I was there, we drove by their park, and I think they yeah. share it with the Mariners. Yeah. A lot of the Arizona parks are shared. Yeah. Um, the uh, the athletics took over the old Cubs one. We drove right. by it. Mm-hmm. And it White, Sox, nice. White Sox are in Glendale with the Dodgers. They oh, they, okay. Just about every one of them shares in, in Arizona. In Florida, that's not really the case. Um, there's only like maybe one or two that do, I think. Hmm. So, yeah. But uh, And then also this last thing um, – he already got. He already had a good, pretty good rookie year last year. But um, this Michael Franco for the Phillies, which Phillies don't have much else to cheer about. He's 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 going to be a stud, man. Yeah, yeah, he's top prospect, right? <laughs> yeah, I think he, I think he's number one now. Yeah, I yeah. think he is. So um, yeah, look out. Yeah. He's tearing it up too. He's got like, I don't know. I think he's got like seven or eight homers, uh-huh. something like that, which is pretty good for yeah. If, for fewer than or 20 games right. um excellent well also one last thing about spring training um jonathan had shared an article with levi and i from the new york daily news about the lack of night games in spring training and um it's just kind of always been this way i guess um uh, yeah mostly you know spring training they play what about 30 games maybe 35 games and only like usually three or four of them are night games right i mean levi what time was your game that you went to uh it was one o'clock in the afternoon yeah the typical the typical game time it sounds like um yeah i I, so so the question is like should they change it yeah. to accommodate the players. Well, it, it is unusual how most of the regular season games are at night. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I so think too many. Kind of, and you're kind of making the... So, I mean... But to, to me, I've always been an old-school day game guy because of the Cubs, but sure. I, I could see the whole like wanting to get into a schedule and a pattern and that type of a thing. Um, But I think maybe they should play a few more. Maybe, like, get it closer to 40 or 50% night games? Well, well, it mentioned that the Yankee in that article, it mentioned the Yankees try to um, concentrate those night games near the end of spring training. Which totally so makes can, sense. Which which is a good idea, because it could help them transition to the season, yeah. which, yeah. you know, you're going to have, you know, what, 80% of your games be at mm-hmm. night. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, it, it is... I mean, a couple of reasons, too, and I don't know if this factored into it or this is just kind of always the way it's it, it is always the way it's been. But maybe some of the reasons they don't change it, you know, like Levi had said, you know, I think a lot of the people there are vacationers. I mean, I'm sure there are quite a few locals, but, you know, spring training is a destination for most for a lot of people. So when you're on vacation, you know, it's that's what you're doing during the it's day. It's like, yeah, you know, yeah. Right? no big deal to go to a game at one o'clock in the afternoon. And yeah. You know, you're, you're drinking margaritas by five. Yeah, drinking margaritas. And yeah, you've got uh, the, there, you, there you've were got people the drunk by two o'clock. What? What, what's that? 
There were people drunk, I think, by two o'clock in Slump Park. I'm sure that happens as well. So, yeah. So, I mean, I think the fact that it probably caters to vacationers. Yeah. A little bit of a, it's a little bit of a seasonal economy, mm-hmm. you know. Um, mm-hmm. Also, you know, competing with some other sports. Um, you know, you've got March Madness in the middle of March. Yeah. Yeah. You've got the NBA and the NHL where playoff pictures are starting to emerge. Um, so, yeah, sports guess, fans have other shit to do at night. They do. <laughs> yeah. Well, and also um, this is a more re- these are more recent advents, but you a, a lot of people, I think I assume if you buy a baseball package, the spring training games are included, right? Maybe. Uh, I believe so. Be yeah. Like with MLB TV. Yes, yeah, I right. believe so. So I would assume more and more viewers could watch the games, um, you know, on their DVRs at home if they wanted to record them. Or maybe if they work in an office, they could stream the games, audio or visual, I guess. So uh, there's probably a lot of factors that that it doesn't hurt for them to be during the the day. It's just it would probably just help the players more if it were. Yeah, I, I, I think that the... Yeah, the idea of helping the players, and, and uh, maybe I'm just not hip to the 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 rhythms that they're on, the schedules that they're on. But really, I mean, it's asking too much for you to be ready to work at 1 p.m. in the afternoon. Like that's an issue. That's what. We're, yeah. <laughs> um, you're paid lots and lots and lots and lots of money, and and you can't be at work by 1 p.m. Um, I, I'm sorry, you might have to be there at 11 to stretch, to stretch, stretch. Um, uh, so I, I think they need to get over it if like they're whining about it. I, I think that, uh, they, they almost in a way they kind of owe it to, uh, yeah, these fan bases that are supporting them to watch them practice and paying money to watch them practice that, yeah. that they accommodate them with these day games that are certainly more festive. Uh, I'm sure anybody, you know, most people will tell you that uh, with the right weather conditions, they would much rather go to a day game than a night game. It's oh, nice certainly. to have something to do after the game, like yeah. go out to eat. I'll, I'll admit sure. as a fan, just even being there one day, like you could totally fall into that routine. Like, hey, get up at like 9 or 10, maybe go for a walk, have some breakfast, go to the ballpark, watch the game, be back home by like 5 or 6, have some yeah. dinner, get up, do it all again tomorrow. I'm oh, yeah. Yeah. You know, I'm retired. Let's do it. And I get in, in the regular season, this is difficult. A day game after a night game. So, you know, some guys don't yeah. do that. And like Barry Bonds didn't do that in his final years. And, and that that's kind of different because that's There's in the middle travels. of the grind. There's more travel. A lot of yeah. traveling. And, you know, it's like game 112 out of 162. Okay, yeah, I kind of get it. But here we're just talking about practice where you're only going to play for two innings anyway. Yeah. Right. Um, so, yeah, I, I, I'm I'm – I'm not usually proponent for of tradition for tradition's sake. Actually, I'm 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 usually antithetical to that. But in this case, I think day games are totally, um, uh, totally the right way to go for spring training. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, I would agree. So anyway, um, ah, anything else, guys? I don't know. No, no. Um... Anything like big news in the White Sox this week? There, Gabe. Uh, I haven't heard anything. No. So no, uh... pretty quiet. Yeah, pretty quiet. Pretty quiet okay. spring. So uh, okay, good. I guess on that note, everybody, um, want to remind you to uh, follow us on Twitter and Instagram at Rock in Chew. 
That's rock as in Nolan Arenado, who's going to be good. Um, you can, you can uh, follow us uh, on Facebook as well. Uh, like our page, please. And then you can learn everything about rock and roll Shinsuchu, past, present, and future at rockchu.com. That's rockchu.com. Next time, we will see you for episode number 50. Holy shit. We made it's getting it. Getting real. Kids. All right. You've come a long way, baby. <laughs> so, anyway, until next time, we'll see you. Enjoy the rest of spring training. Take care. Peace.